welcome to Film Inquiries, the latest. This is a podcast series tackling the latest movie news, movie trends, and movie releases. This week, very welcome to have uh, back back on the, the podcast for back, the second back, week in a Back again. Uh, Hunter Heilman's back. Hunter, thank you for filling in this week. Uh, we we did have a, a guest this week, but um, un- unfortunately, that person is down in New Orleans, and we we wish the best for all of those down in down in Louisiana. Um, yeah, but Hunter, rough, this man. this gives you the opportunity to discuss a a movie that I believe you gave an expletive fu last time for not being on the episode for. Um, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're you gonna... could have edited that out. That's not my problem. We don't, we don't silence on this, <laughs> on this podcast. Maybe you should. So we're gonna be talking about Candyman, the the Who newest make the sunrise, the newest horror movie, um, reimagining of the, the the classic '90s horror character. Um, before we begin, though, gotta do some house cleaning. First of all. We have to, we have to announce that on this episode, we we can each. There's a rule. We can we can only say his name. Is it five times? I've already done it. I mean, literally, like everyone's like, I don't fuck with that. I don't fuck with that. I'm not doing that. Like they're actually superstitious. I wouldn't did that in the mirror. I'm a big fan of Tony Todd. Okay. I'd like for well, him to show up or Yahya Abdul Mateen the second showing up in my house. Nonetheless. We each get five times to 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 say the the titular title of this movie, which whether you believe in the superstition or not, will will be a fun game for us to do on this yeah. this episode. Yeah. Um. um before we get fa- to the- it's my favorite Christina Aguilera song. Also, it's my fucking it's my favorite Aqua song too. Even though that song's technically called Lollipop, but it's Candyman. Before we get to that though, I wanted to get your thoughts on some movie trailers that came out in the last week because you know i'm sure you got some takes uh how do you feel about um the new spider-man movie that's a i guess going to be like if it doesn't get released there's going to be like riots in the streets or something i was a little like concerned for how like intensely people were like if this trailer doesn't drop in the next two hours what are you gonna (laughs) do about it mary What are you going to do? Are you going to go down to Sony Pictures in Culver City and like, and are you going to go down to Marvel and go to Kevin Feige or whatever his last name is? Really? What are you going to do? You're just going to tweet about it? Is that all you're going to do? Whatever. Um, You know. We don't have to spend a whole lot of time on this. It, ju- it just, it was such a big thing last week that I was like, yeah. I've got to at least acknowledge it. It feels this spider-man timeline and this spider-man character unfortunately feel a little uh, unfortunately feel unfortunate um because the sense of like i think there are two honestly three iterations actually no just two two separate universes of spider-man right now that i think are better than the tom holland spider-man and I'm not talking about Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield because those are done and in the can and whatever. I, who knows? Maybe they're not. Uh-huh. Maybe maybe they'll be back. They're, but they're coming back, I guess. I think that it's just an unfortunate circumstance that these movies fall uh, alongside the Into the Spider Verse Spider Man films, as well as Insomniac Spider Man video games, which are excellent. Mm-hmm. 
so it kind of sucks because he's just kind of third best Spider-Man and that you, you if you're Spider-Man, you shouldn't be third best. I really enjoyed know? that we're re-appreciating the Sam Raimi movies. Of I did enjoy seeing on Twitter people like posting yeah. like screenshots or They're just lit. like clips from the Raimi movies and was like, look how much filmmaking I mean, is in these movies. Even, I was going to say, even Spider-Man 3, it's not good, but no, like... But there's some choices happening in that movie. Choices. <laughs> and a lot of times these choices don't get made even in good Marvel films. So, you know, it's one of those things I feel like everyone's attached to it because it's a part of the MCU. But, like, let's be real here. Tom Holland's not the best Spider-Man. And these films do not reach the level of, like, visual grandeur in the way that even the current Spider-Man iterations could or the previous Sam Raimi ones. The Sam Raimi ones were experiences in the sky. This one, it's just like, okay, he's swinging. It's really not that impressive. I mean, I don't know. It's a lot. It, I'm not a it, huge Marvel It could be person. worse. The I've, I'm someone who thinks like the both of the Andrew Garfield ones are pretty like uninteresting and unwatchable in my opinion. I don't hate them. I don't like the second one, obviously. Yeah. I don't like the second one. The first one, I think, is at least watchable because I think that the actors in it kind of are good and, like, go with the material. But I will say it's definitely the dullest. Right. The dullest iteration of Spider-Man, kind of. And at least in terms of, like, the villains and all that. Because, I mean, at least, like, with at least with the Tom Holland ones, we at least got Mysterio and... uh vulture and those yeah. are like those were pretty good all right they before, great, but they're pretty good we'll we'll have more time to talk spider-man and alfred molina's return to cinemas and he has his like neck fat tucked in like they like pulled it in really tight to make him look younger and he just looks like he's had a um like a tracheotomy it's not good de-aging uh well uh i guess the last two previews i wanted to get your your opinions on fall festival season is about to kick off this week with with venice and telluride and soon that's tip. this week yeah i believe venice and uh telluride start this week end of this week i think it's september 1st is when both those I, festivals I, kick off i don't like i i don't like how close can and the fall film festivals are this year uh, it it like weirdly makes me uneasy. Yeah. Um. We'll talk about most of these fall festival movies later on down the line. But we did get new trailers for Spencer, the uh Princess Diana movie with uh <laughs> Kristen Stewart in it, and uh Power of the Dog, the new Jane Campion movie with Benedict. That might be a backdoor Jurassic Park sequel or prequel. <laughs> Who knows? You, you know, I didn't, I didn't like pick up on that I with like whistle. the whistling in it. But then I did hear that <laughs> Hunter's dog really likes it. Um, <laughs> I just tried to whistle. I never, I can't whistle. But did oops. you know Johnny Greenwood is doing the scores for both for of these both. movies? Both. Okay. While I'm happy about Johnny Greenwood doing the score for Power of the Dog. I wish Mika Levy was doing it for Spencer. Okay. Because Mika Levy did it for Jackie, and it was that weird drony. Yeah, the Jackie like, score is great. Jackie's score is amazing, and I wish... I love Johnny Greenwood. I have no doubt that the score for Spencer is going to be great, because I think, like, it does make sense. If it's not Mika Levy working with Pablo Rain, that makes sense, because it gives a lot of that kind of Phantom Thread vibe of high-class society, but it's not 
about the like splendor and wonder of it it's about Mm -hmm. kind of the pitfalls of it and i think that johnny greenwood can find that balance between like fluttery english opulence and also just a fucking nightmare yeah um so i think that'll be really good i think it looks excellent yeah. I love Pablo. I think Pablo Lorraine should be the only person allowed to do biopics in Hollywood anymore. Yeah, I didn't always- really like the the Jackie movie. It left me a bit cold, but like I I admire how that's like, your fault. <laughs> I admire how weird and unusual it is, and y'all. I'm 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 open to to this one. I would so much rather a film cover an incredibly limited amount of time in Mm -hmm. someone's life but they take the time to flesh out the idiosyncrasies and the actual personal details about these people to where i understand more about them as people within the story than if i got the whole story it's like that was i mean we talked about it It was my problem with respect it went Mm -hmm. from aretha franklin as a child to aretha franklin like 1972 that's a very wide amount of time giant span of time yeah and it's like we have to have at least two and a half hours to make that even slightly work and even then it's not that detailed jackie was a tight 90 minutes took place over the span of what two weeks at most i don't Mm -hmm. know how long it took and and I got to know more about Jacqueline Kennedy through Natalie Portman's performance and through her focus on the details within those 90 minutes than I did with most other biopics. So I'm incredibly excited for Spencer because I think Pablo Lorraine can pull it off. I think Kristen Stewart is great casting. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, did, I, I did hear- not even recognize her like I in, in any of the marketing photos that I – like it yeah. took me a while – to like i'm a massive out that it was her fan or stan i am like i will defend her to my grave eat like i will i'll even defend her in the twilight movies because they were just poorly written no actors could no she's no actors could have gotten out of that script unscathed but they just blamed it all on her um i love her i think it'll be great casting i need to hear more of her voice i need to know Mm -hmm. if the accent's there the two words that i've heard were pretty damn good but obviously like who knows we'll see yeah but i thought jackie was fabulous i thought um that year honestly i thought isabelle Huppert deserved the oscar but if it wasn't isabelle Huppert, i didn't want it to be emma stone it should have been natalie portman but okay. whatever i i digress i think it's a fabulous movie i might watch it later today actually yeah i'm um, i'm excited i'm i'm very curious for this and it seems like this is like neon is fully pulling out the stops of like is very confident in this as like their big awards player this fall yeah they're like traditional awards player and then i think they're kind of pushing like titan as the big like weird movie of yeah maybe maybe a foreign language nominee or something but might be a little too weird it might be a little strange for for that but it all comes down to it's not a french film it's a belgian film technically oh that's right what other films are belgium gonna pick as their (laughs) as their like number one like i know they make more than just this movie but it like on an international scale it won the palm door how do you not choose the palm door as your exactly your pick for your country's thing um so yeah we can see that uh but yeah neon seems very confident and then power of the dog I am excited for it more on theory than in the trailer, just because the trailer offered so little. Yeah. Um, and I, and I, honestly, I appreciate that. I'd rather have a trailer make me go, I don't really know what that is, but those four actors, Johnny Greenwood, Jane fucking Campion, like 
you don't really have to tell me that much more than that. Yeah, I mean, the trailer gave me enough into just like the style. Oh, oh fuck, she's back, and she yeah. is like just as in control and like knows how to, you know, per- is just a master yeah. at kind of like giving you this like very tangible sensory experience with just like the sound of benedict cumberbatch like what what is he like putting together a saddle or a whip or something and the sound of that like leather rope being pulled and then you know she's a one of our great landscape filmmakers i think and very much knows how to just like shoot a landscape and make make you uh feel all kinds of emotions and sort of capture a kind of repressed uh inner desire um i don't really know are you familiar with the book that this is based off of no i I need to get around to it i have some audible credits and i might i might maybe spend one on that i'm not 100 percent sure yet but i'm I'm a little hesitant to read it even though i hear it's very good if only because i don't want to totally ruin the movie that's my feel i'm like sometimes i feel like reading a book before the movie is good but sometimes like I don't know what I want to be more surprised in, Mm -hmm. but um, I will say as much as I do think the trailer looks great. And as much as I am excited for a new Jane Campion film, I do think it's about time we um, dismantled the Benedict Cumberbatch doing American accents, industrial complex. (laughs) Um, He didn't even speak in the trailer, but I already know I'm going to be annoyed by it. Yeah. He's not, I'm I'm hoping that this is of British actors when it comes to American accents. Just let him be British. Just write it in the story. Yeah. It will make more sense than whatever the fuck is coming out of his mouth. I'm remaining hopeful that maybe this is going to be a bit of a change of pace for him. Or maybe fe- just a neutral accent. I'm just like, I'm just afraid because it's set in the West. Yeah. I'm just like, oh no, how, because I know he did a, I didn't see the Mauritanian, but I know he had a Southern accent in it and I know it was rough. Oh yeah, rough. Yeah. yeah. I, I also just feel like he's someone who's kind of gotten like boxed into a very, like every role is Sherlock basically. Um yeah. So I'm like every role is basically I know he's not Doctor Who, but like that Doctor Who esque. Well, like, it's the t- like the Tumblr fandoms, right? In like 2012, like 2012 Stan Tumblr. Yeah, and it it was interesting reading that Variety story on the the movie that it 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 sounds like this is potentially going to be a very very different role for him and is maybe That's going good. to like rewire a bit of what we think about him as an actor and is I maybe going to so, be a bit more I, menacing or something like that because i'll admit it's just kind of it kind of went from it went from sherlock to con mm-hmm. and then worked his way back a little bit but then got into doctor strange and like obviously that's taken up a lot of his time because he plays such a major role in the universe now right and i just feel like we haven't gotten those smaller roles in between or at least not in the way that they're like stunning you get like the mortanian you get the courier you get kind of little things in between but never anything where you're like wow he is like you know this generation so and so or what the, what the fuck not it's yeah like, and then there's that that year he's that just the, a good uh, actor was it the imitation game the, oh, the year that, that was... which i i remember being on record as being like that's the most overrated performance of that year and just totally didn't get what people were i thought like, the writing was really good it. in the imitation game i thought his performance was good it was i think it's his best performance but that came like he i think during that award season was like cast as dr strange so mm-hmm. it was kind of like honey you just you just cashed all those chips away from 
something good. I mean, I'm not saying he's not good as Doctor Strange. It's just Doctor Strange plays such a major role in the universe now that it's not mm-hmm. just his movies he's having to appear in. Right. He has to be in the Avengers movies. He has to be in the Spider-Man movie. Yes, I mean... It feels like he's one. becoming the new Downey, like, I gotta be the kind of connecting tissue person yeah, to come in and do and five minutes. Yeah, and it's just kind of like okay like you definitely provide some of the coolest visuals of the mcu but like i don't know i just don't like it when they hold good actors hostage so i'm hoping that this kind of helps them break from the chains of that yeah uh so i'm sure we'll talk about both of these movies later on and maybe maybe get some film inquiry people on who are checking some of these out at the the fall festivals yeah um but let's talk about let's see i got i got four more or three more, I guess, because I can't hit five. Let's talk about Candyman. Um, kind of a divisive movie this past weekend. And at least in the circles I travel in, it seems like it's divisive. I don't know yeah. where because I don't really check Rotten Tomatoes. So I don't know where it's at on the Rotten Tomatoes I think score. it's at like 85 Okay, so, so better than okay. I was expecting, but... Yeah, and then Metacritic is, if I'm correct, 72, yes. Okay, so, so like, this, this is obviously like a, re- a reimagining and a sequel to a, I think, great... Ni- is it 1992 the original came out? Um, you are correct. One of... I, I saw it for the first time like a week ago. I think it's one of the, the better horror movies of the 1990s. Um is really ripe with all of this subtext about violence in inner inner cities and the way that kind of like the rich white population of a city kind of ignores those issues. But they're also the way that they put, put it in place too. And it's like, it's such a really, sorry for hijacking you. I love, no, I mean, I love the original Candyman so much. It's a great movie to talk about. Yeah. Um, But also it's such a really great parable of kind of like, this is after like the war on drugs has also kind of mm-hmm. taken its major toll on communities. And now they're just kind of pulling out of like, yeah, at least like, so it's like, or even a great metaphor for like, you know, the, the violence and sort of horrors of slavery, how that continues to, um, you know, hurt black people in this country generations and generations after the fact. And the, the, the way the 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 ghostly figure as i will refer to yeah. him to avoid um you know re- is this you know is brought upon by this sin of slavery and now he kind of haunts these projects in the chicago area um well it's yeah. kind of like it's kind of like an original version of like the grudge in the sense of like mm-hmm. yeah if we are discussing spirits like if we in america want to discuss spirits and ghosts and all of these things we have to also reckon with the fact that they're not going to be white women in flowy dresses who are you all over a house you know like type of like ghostly figures we had seen up to that point nor will they all be like crypt keeper looking demon motherfuckers right we're we're gonna have to deal with the fact that if we are dealing with actual spirits if we're dealing with actual ghosts that have passed on we're going to have to deal with the victims of extreme racist violence and the anger that those people probably hold within them. Mm-hmm. And that's the basis of Candyman of like, he's 
he's just not like he's it is literally like injustice kind of personified but when it's turned back on you it's frightening Mm -hmm. but it's like for him it was that was his reality of living as a black man in love with a white woman in the 1890s in that specific circumstance we learn on the new one there's a ton of candy men and yeah (laughs) in the sense of like it really is just a kind of a giant parable for um black suffering at the at the behest of those in power mm-hmm. though it that kind of gets turned on its head a little bit in Candyman too but i'm not going to get into that because that gets to spoiler territory yeah so this new one that just came out in theaters um it's directed by Nina jordan Co- peele it's jordan peele's Candyman. man <laughs> It's directed by Nia DaCosta, um, and Peel did co-write it and produce it, and I, I think it's got, you know, I, I've not seen Nia DaCosta's first film, Little Woods. It's so good, but okay. it, it is so insanely different than this. Yeah, I it know is... this this fits in a lot with kind of like the social issue horror movies that Peel has been yeah. making in the last few years. Um, and I know Nia DaCosta is going to be doing the, is it the second Captain Marvel movie? Is that yeah, the one that she has, she's doing? She's such an interesting, she's very much so kind of like Chloe Zhao, in my opinion of like, she's has such an interesting, like steps she's taking in her career. Mm-hmm. And like, I mean, obviously, like, I think Chloe Zhao, I mean, Chloe Zhao is just like kind of a master in her own right. I think Nia DaCosta is like coming into it because Nia DaCosta is only 31. Right. She was in her 20s when she shot this movie. So she was like mid 20s when she shot Little Woods. Um, Yeah, there is just like, it's so interesting of like going from a small indie drama that takes place in North Dakota Mm -hmm. to... A Candyman remake in Chicago to Captain Marvel 2, which God knows where that's going to fucking take place. She's 31 years old from Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. And she's telling all of these stories in kind of these really personal ways of like, I don't know. Because I remember when I saw Little Woods, I was like, she had to have grown up in like North Dakota or something. Like, there's no way she knows all this. No, she was raised in Brooklyn. Oh, okay, with Candyman. Well, she has to have a really good understanding of, like, gentrification in Chicago. No. You know, it's, I don't know. It's just, like, with Colby Jaw, it's, like, you know, the writer to Nomadland was definitely kind of, like, expected, but now she's going to Eternals, and then she's going to Dracula. Like, there's just, like, this whole... Mm -hmm. I just like people who aren't just doing movies that are purely uh, in their wheelhouse of what people would expect for them to do next, and... I really enjoyed that, especially once I saw Little Woods. Once I saw Little Woods, I was like, oh, I like this girl. Mm-hmm. She's fucking sick. So I know you like this movie a lot more than I do. <laughs> yes, I'm, I did, Darlene. <sighs> I'm very, very mixed on it, but I, I will I will let you kind of uh, uh, make your case for like what, what you really like about this movie. Because I have a feeling I won't necessarily disagree. There's just more things that kind of like disappointed me about it than did with you um so yeah this was tough because divisive movies definitely always kind of live at the back of my mind as i'm watching them Mm -hmm. of like i'm just like some people don't like this that's crazy because i thought this was 
a very good film. Mm-hmm. Do I think it's best of the year? Do I think it's the night house? No, but um, it's, there is this uneasiness, I think from the very beginning of this film, from just the mirrored production logos playing Sammy Davis Jr. Candyman in like a warped version. Is it a little on the nose? Yes. Does that kind of, uh, does that kind of uh, foreshadow a couple other things that are going to be a little on the nose going forward in this film? Also, yes. But it made me feel good easy. I was like, why is it doing this? Until I found out later, I was like, oh, it's because you look in the mirror and say his name. That's why. Mm-hmm. But, um, but like, even just from like the opening credits, the, the, the slower, less in your face music, just the gray color palette, the weird camera angles. There's something about this movie that I think puts a bigger pit in my stomach than something. I mean, it is straight up horror. Don't Mm -hmm. get us wrong. This is not a slow. I mean, it's got a little slow, but it's not a slow burn horror film in that you are not given the goods until the very end. No, it's it's like a mainstream studio slasher. It's a slasher film. It's a smart slasher film, but so was the original Candyman. Like, it, I think people who go into it expecting like sharp social critique, you're going to get that, but you're also getting a, a slasher movie in the same way that people who are going in for just where the slasher movie are going to come out and be like, that was actually kind of smart a little bit. That like, that was a little bit of uh, metaphors, but that, and I don't, I don't know how to put it into words almost. I just loved the tone of it all. Mm-hmm. It was just all. I love when a movie just makes me nervous. When a movie ropes me in with the characters and like, I like the characters. When I see someone, when I'm like, oh no, I'm going to have to watch them die, aren't I? And luckily, this movie is not as like predictable in that sense of like, every single character on screen is a blood bag of some sorts. Mm-hmm. they're not all of that not all of it is that uh purpose and i appreciated that because i found i like when characters can just kind of exist for the sake of being characters within a film because realistically that's not how things are going to be that was one thing i wasn't crazy about in the original Candyman, where they just like killed a lot of side characters just to do it and they didn't even show a lot of them on screen like when bernadette her like research partner gets murdered mm-hmm there was no reason for Bernie to get murdered. She deserved better than that. Like there, that was just so the studio could have more gore. But um, this one I find, I, I think is a little bit more like intentioned and in how it's telling the story specifically. And obviously it's telling it much more from the perspective of gentrification within Chicago these days. And right. That's like the big thing because they tell you it's the big thing. It's a little, there is a little bit of like, okay, you could, you could, like, we get it. You don't have to say it a million times. And it does right. happen a little bit. But, um, but I just, I find that when I like a cast, when I like the characters, and even if the writing can be a little shallow, I find myself way more invested in a film than like a slasher movie where, you're supposed to hate everyone because you're supposed to be rooting for everyone to kind of get their guts ripped out. This one had those characters and those scenes were satisfying, but it also had that really tense, really just gutturally nasty tone to it to where I genuinely was nervous about who was going to get it next because 
A, I didn't want to see a lot of that happen. And B, when someone fucking gets it in this movie, holy shit, this movie goes hard on the violence. And Mm -hmm. I appreciate that too, because I feel like so many movies now are all about like what you don't see when in reality, no girl, give me some good practical effects. And this movie had, had that in spades for me. Um, yeah, I'll let you speak a little bit on it. Leave, leave that. Yeah, I, it's, a, I, l- it's a little hard to. Yeah, I think my kind of immediate take that I think I've texted you and some some people we're friends with who have been on this show before um, was that this felt like a. Uh, I, let's see, I got, I got two more I can use. This this felt like a, a Candyman sequel that was um, more so inspired by college essays that someone had written about the first one. And th- this is a movie that is, um, I mean, as we talked about, the the original film from 1992 is full of all this great subtext and great metaphor for unpacking. But it's all kind of there sort of under the surface. And it's, the the movie is not nervous about you misunderstanding what its message and what its allegory is. And this film felt, so um i guess aware of the kind of cultural significance and the politics of that first film that it yeah it it was like we're going to expand upon that this is a movie about gentrification as you mentioned it's a movie about the way that black suffering gets appropriated into art it's about um you know using the say his name um aspect of the the mythology of this series god also i know it's been i know it's been a year and a half since that first trailer dropped but jesus christ i still get haunted by the fact that they put a dark version of say my name by destiny's child an incredible trailer trailer, but you know tying that um aspect of the movie into the black lives matter movement and just but did it really do that that much well see i feel like so many people are just saying it's a black lives matter movie when it's like they never really they never touch on that well, I feel like it kind of touches into that. You know, this is a bit spoilery, but um, so you know, if you haven't seen the movie and want to, feel free to skip ahead or 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 hop off and come back. But you know, towards the end when it is revealed, there is not just one. Let's see, I I've got I've got one more. There's not just one Candyman. There's one for every single um black man who's ever been killed or wronged as a ver- as as a result of racism. And so there's not just the, the one spirit that we see throughout most of the movie. There's, there's, there could be hundreds of them. There could be. I mean, I, I wouldn't argue that they said that I would argue more in that, like each of, each of the people that they mentioned in the film more so have been given that moniker by the society Mm -hmm. around them of like, of the people within Cabrini Green or the other predominantly black neighborhoods of Chicago of just myth, like mythologized, 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 yeah, mythologized, mythologizing victims of racist violence. I don't think every black man killed at the behest of racism is Candyman. I think it's more of like, Okay. Who? Who? I think it it, it really who, who shows... gets mythologized, and I think there's an aspect of like saying their name to carry on their yeah. sort of legend and myth. Yeah, but and... like you know, at the same time, it's just kind of like they can do that to anybody. It's the ones that 
it's just the pattern that kind of has kind of dotted itself around the community at different eras everyone because it's like everyone needs that everyone needs a a story to scare children i think everyone has those right like at the same time this obviously puts it in a little and more of a literal sense of the word but i i don't think it's quite as i didn't read into it as quite as obvious as as that because you know i didn't see this film as i as like a a blm horror film it's like yeah it's, it's, I, it's i just saw it as like this movie it felt like every 15 minutes in in you know it, this movie has a lot of ambition i think about every what 15 it wants minutes so once because this movie is like eight seconds long <laughs> this movie's wait this movie's hella short sorry it, i don't it have is, it is short i guess what i'm getting at is like this movie's trying to introduce so many different ideas and potential like metaphors into yeah. itself and at, at a certain point like you know i think we should talk a little bit about the ending here in a here at a certain point which even the audience i was with that i think mostly enjoyed it as i was walking out were kind of like i don't know that ending doesn't really make sense to me and yeah. feels like another kind of like do we have time to introduce one more idea into this movie fine fine let's let's shove it in there and then you it sort of becomes confusing but i almost feel like the the metaphorical aspirations of this movie that it felt like there was so much time and attention put into that, that kind of the more emotional or even the more kind of visceral horror aspect of it did not work for me at all. Like a great example is, and I don't know whether it's because it was in the trailer, but you know, that great trailer that you mentioned, and there's the bit with the teenage girls in the bathroom and saying the the words into the mirror i definitely thought that was going to be the cold open of the movie and then it ends up being like near the end i'm like oh yeah but i i think while nia DaCosta clearly has like a great eye and there's some like wonderful reoccurring motifs with mirrors in this movie there's just something about the like rhythm of building a great horror suspense sequence and i that scene comes to mind of like was is very very scary in the trailer but in the movie as I was watching was not scary at all. And the the first thing I could think of is like, there was something about like the pacing and rhythm of it that just felt off. And it felt like as a horror movie and as a genre movie, this was very, very unsatisfying for me. And it felt like it was more interested in sort of being very, very upfront, having all the characters basically talk, you know, on the nose about what the movie is about and was so scared of audiences not understanding what it's about that the the sort of horror slasher movie aspect of it kind of got lost somewhere in trying to craft this larger metaphor. And so I kind of admire this movie's aspirations and think, like I said, I think there's some some great kind of visual motifs that come up over and over again. But I just sort of found it a kind of lacking experience that didn't give me that sort of visceral jolt that i i get from even the original film from the early 90s yeah i also admire um your confidence in being wrong but um (laughs) you know i you know i actually do i i do hear what you're saying on that part um i just found i disagree with it not like I disagree with you saying that it's not scary. Yeah, like, I just I just wanted more I I don't know. It it just something something felt off to me is is the best that's way I That's why I liked it. it. I was like this isn't like something is genuinely off. Like 
oh, oh, I don't like this feeling of like, of not being able to like guess necessarily what trope is going to be thrown at at you next in a film that could feasibly be filled with nothing but tropes because mm-hmm. there are two other Candyman sequels that do exactly that. Um, and you lose kind of all of the, I've heard you lose all of that subtext. So now it's like, you kind of have to pick the battles of like, what do you want in a Candyman movie? Do you want violence right. or do you want subtext? And, you know, unfortunately, I guess from wh- how you describe it, we really haven't gotten either of those things. I disagree. I will say definitely there are a lot of things that are a little on the nose in the film where I'm just like, okay, this was like, we could have maybe not like spoken so candidly about some of the things. It it felt like, you know, there's that one scene in the movie where, um, there's the, it's, it's, it's at the art gallery. Art critic. Oh, yes, the art, the, the oh, art I, critic and um, I was thinking you know, of the art yeah, yeah, Abdul Mateem's character, who is this this artist, and he is like doing the these series of, um, I guess they're not all paintings, but most of them are paintings because he's he's a yeah. painter. But he he has done this this piece inspired by the mythology of um the I, I've I've run out of of uh numbers, so I will just say unnamed t- titular character of this film. Um, and an art critic comes over and he just sort of stands by the piece and over explains it to her. And afterwards I was kind of like, that's what this movie, it feels like is sort of doing is this movie is just sort of kind of like, it, it felt like just sort of slowing itself down to, and not giving itself breathing room and just felt like it needed to over explain itself to me much in the way that Yaya Abdul Mateem's character sort of does with that art critic in that scene um yeah i think of the scene at the art critic's house more so when she is when they're discussing like her place as a white art critic in this Mm -hmm. area of chicago and him as a black artist in chicago that was the scene i think of whenever i think of something that's a little too on the nose in the film right um because like i mean that the scene with the art critic where he's over explaining himself i i was I yeah, wasn't. it wasn't that I thought like that scene. You just it, you just th- felt th- like it was kind of a parable to the way that the film was being kind of portrayed to the right exactly by Nia DaCosta. Yeah, yeah. Um, I see that you're denigrating a black woman's work. Awesome. Um, but um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But uh, I don't know. There's something about it. Uh, there's something about this film too. I just appreciate it's it's like full concept that art is just full of shit as well. Mm-hmm. Like all of it. Like even good art is full of shit, um, and I mean, they, you know, maybe you could argue that about this film a little bit. But to me, it was so much more just about the tone and about the feeling that it struck within me that a lot of films don't do that anymore for me. Where I'm watching it and I'm genuinely dreading what's coming next. I've watched so many fucking horror films at this point mm-hmm. that it's very hard for me to feel that way about something as i'm watching it it's very rare that a film score or even just like just just something that's very disquieting and just my soul as i'm watching something i think of the opening credit sequence it's an incredibly simple opening credit sequence but it's literally a reverse of the sequence from the original film where it's top down on chicago this is bottom up and it's 
super foggy, just, you know, text on, but with the music and how like the weird camera angles kind of take effect, uh, there's, mm, it all, I just... think a great example of the, that kind of mirror motif that she keeps using yeah. throughout the, the film that I, I'm, I'm excited to see what she does next. I just sort of felt this, this movie had kind of like yeah. gotten lost a bit in sort of upholding the, the, the burden of like, we are making a very like socially conscious horror movie and and we need to kind of like really really like hammer in that that's what this is and not trusting the audience to kind of realize that in of itself i'm wondering if mia DaCosta got the job on captain marvel 2 because tiana paris recommended her that makes sense because isn't isn't the new captain Monica marvel Rambeau, it's, it's yes. gonna be like a, a buddy action movie with yeah, her and because it's Brie Larson. her like partner from the first film's daughter yeah yeah i'm wondering if that's been the case because that would be really cool because i i really like the entire cast of this i thought nathan stewart jared even though he he was only in a couple scenes i thought he stole the fucking thing Mm -hmm. as the gay brother and i loved them as a couple and spoiler alert they don't die and do you know how fucking happy i am to watch a horror movie where the gays don't die we always do every time they show up it's like having it's like when there's a dog in a movie i'm just like Mm -hmm. oh fuck here we go no the bitch is gonna die so speaking of the cast, can 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 we talk about whatever's going on with Coleman Coleman Bingo? Yeah. Also speaking. Also, ironically, Nathan Stewart Jared is straight in real life, playing the gay character, and Coleman Domingo's gay in real life, playing him. Oh, uh-huh. didn't didn't know that. Yeah. The more you know. Yeah, Coleman Domingo's uh partner is they're ooh, they're a very attractive couple. He's they, he's a handsome if they, man. If they saw me from across the bar and liked my vibe, <laughs> just saying. Um, how do you feel about the ending for this movie? Because, like, like I said, even as I was watching it, I was like, I have no idea what's happening, and this feels very, very rushed, and feels like this. It feels like we're cutting like another half, what should be half an hour of this movie into about five minutes, and then even you know, I, I. Film criticism I know is so much about like our own personal feelings, but I I did find it curious. Like even walking out, a lot of the people as were like flooding out of the theater. I heard a lot of like, yeah. what what was happening so, in that last like five minutes of the movie? I liked the storytelling that it got to. Mm-hmm. I absolutely agree that it was way too rushed. That's my biggest complaint with this movie. Of like, I feel like nowadays in the world of like midsummer director's cut and mm-hmm. avengers endgame and i guess no time to die because i think that's two hours and 54 minutes it's yeah I, I think i read that yesterday that it's almost um, three hours but also Good. if it's like if they genuinely do give like a send-off to daniel craig i don't mind an extended like third act if it like wraps everything in a bow yeah but, i guess i'm worried about Spectre was already something that felt too long for well we we have time to we'll get, get into to that. bond another we'll get day, to that yeah know? um but yeah, I definitely agree that the ending felt a little rushed. I actually liked the contents of the ending kind of from the police car onwards. I thought mm-hmm. that was really interesting. I thought, spoiler alert, the, the usage of Tony Todd just in the last scene, I was like, <laughs> I was like, yes! That because did get I, a big reaction out of my the audience that I, I was with. Oh, well, yeah, my audience wasn't very big because I was going to see it at Dolby Cinema. Mm-hmm. at south point and the projector broke and we sat there for an hour and i had to go, oh, to, another, right. <laughs> I had to, go to another theater i'm literally thinking of canceling my amc subs because of that but um but 
my theater was kind of actually really quiet, but mm-hmm. I will say it came a little suddenly, like when the final title card came up, I was like, oh, okay. Like I got, I get that it ends there, but also the way in which it went from her going to see Coleman Domingo to Coleman Domingo revealing himself to be crazy to him turning Yahya Abdul-Mateen into the uh-huh. next Candyman. I thought that was all incredibly rushed where I was like, whoa, yes. whoa, 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 Because when, when Coleman Domingo like subdued Tiana Paris, I was like, because it was such a far away shot. I was like, oh, that's Anthony. He's the one right. who did that. Like that, like he's the one who did it. And then I noticed then like the next scene, it's like, oh no, that was Coleman Domingo that took her down. Why is he doing that? Why yeah, is he just... it, it, it feels like there's kind of like a, a missing piece. There's a like missing, a missing like, 10 minute sequence to yeah. explain why he's doing that. I completely agree on that part where I was like, okay. But once I picked up on it, I was like, okay, that's fine. And then I knew, and then when she was in the police car, like the whole thing happened. That also, it felt a little on the nose with like police death, but also. I, I also don't understand because it feels like that's not like, isn't the rule like he comes for you if you say the words into the mirror and it's like she's calling him to then attack other people which but we've never seen someone like immediate well we've never seen i don't know how to describe it it's like anthony has been put through like the mythology, I don't know that fuck. Mythologi- Mythologization, I guess. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> he's been put through that pretty much immediately because he's kind of the first candy man that was killed to be specifically a candy man. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how many times I've said it at this point. Oops. It's, um, he's, he's coming for you tonight. Just I don't care. <laughs> Again, Yahweh Abdul Mateen in my bedroom. Hunter, Hunter's uh, going to be there with like a glass of rose um, being like, you finally arrived. <laughs> yeah, for real. Hey, can you turn into Tony Todd too at the same time? Um, but just not, just not Sherman. I don't want him. Maybe you've um, said it enough that both of them will show up for you. Uh huh. But, um, but it's also kind of the first time you see someone who is really directly connected to the person who is the Candyman. Mm-hmm. You like utilize it as a weapon, and I think also at that point she was kind of. I don't think she knew that they were going to go that she was going to be spared i think it was just mm-hmm. kind of like anthony's dead she's about to go to jail forever for no fucking reason right so it's kind of like do i take my chances and i think she did and i think it you know obviously paid off in her favor but um yeah i i, I kind of get that of like oh kind of using it as a weapon but at the same time like i said Every person who has ever kind of summoned a Candyman has had some sort of, like, either no connection in that, like, Mm -hmm. there's no, like, emotional connection there. Or there's the negative one, because you think about how, like, Coleman Domingo's sister, like, was killed by Candyman, by the Candyman that he produced, in a sense. So I I agree it does take a minute, but I came around to the ending if we just kind of, I just wish we could just like extend the sequence that kind of explains why Coleman Domingo's character is the way that he is. If you can explain, if you can expand that a little bit, honestly, I think that would break up so much of the breathing room of the movie and it would make it feel a little bit more complete because 
like I said, it's not my favorite movie of the year. It's one of my favorite movies of the year, but that's not saying all that much. Um, because I do have those kind of qualms with it, but it has also that just that killer tone that I think I would rather see in a horror movie than like some other things. But yeah, I just wish that kind of got a little bit more fleshed out and, you know, maybe we can hashtag release the DaCosta cut and like, um, get on that. But you know, well, see if not, I'm happy enough with how it kind of turned out for, uh, for the most part, I do think, uh, I do think it was a little constrained. I think 91 minutes is is great for a horror film, but it's great for a simple horror film. And I think this is kind of anything but a simple horror film. No, it's it's now I'm not talking. Don't do Midsummer's director's cut. Don't give me two hours, 54 minutes of just characters talking. But I feel like this could have been a solid like hour 55 and like really padded itself out and maybe given a couple extra kills, maybe uh some more character padding a little bit more mythology and i think um to where you're not kind of asking those questions of like did she just call him as a weapon or like right like you know or like the ending of tell everyone i will say that kind of got people going in my theater of like yes but Mm -hmm. i also wish it it fleshed those things out more because i think that this movie really exists well as a self-contained story i don't think that there is a franchise to be found in new Candyman. i think it is yeah yeah that makes sense i think it's much more of like a one and done remake not even remake or reboot it is a direct sequel to the original like right yeah he is the baby from the original yeah Um, which which was I mean that that storytelling choice worked for me because I when I watched the first one the entire time I was thinking like with whenever the baby was introduced like I wonder if that's gonna wind up being Yaya yeah Yaya's well I character. knew it was because I knew because I knew his character was Anthony because I was oh. like and then you know the don't yeah. say that I knew that was Vanessa Williams because I oh, okay um, yeah I I'd, I'd totally forgotten that she was like in some of the yeah. ads and then she great, came up all, and great. I was like cameo like just yeah, like she's, one, she's good in that one scene one killer scene but she is i mean great i love the detail i mean she, it's been 30 years and she still has that accent now because she don't talk like that in real life and what i also loved is that you could very clearly see the scar on her arm where virginia madsen cleaved her mm-hmm. and the scene where they were fighting when anthony went missing like there's just like those little details i like um but yeah, I didn't mind that. I I actually really enjoyed the, that aspect. No, and, I, I, and that, that that's he, one of the storytelling choices that did work for me. And I liked and I liked that storytelling choice of like she tried her entire life, literally got the entire community to like buckle down to prevent this from spreading again, and that the UK just can't do that. There is no way to escape. Like urban legends can't be killed literally mm-hmm. like and not i mean even in words she can try her hardest but he still found a way to come back to this himself and i i like that i like that storytelling choice that it wasn't like he found out about it and then went into Candyman. it was like he was entrenched in it and then found out much later on in the film of his connection to it but it wasn't also it wasn't like played as this big twist either because his name is Anthony McCoy. If you've seen the original, you can kind of put that together a little bit. It wasn't like a Luke, I am your father moment. It was just right. like a 
this is the scene where he's about to find out what we've all known this whole time. Mm -hmm. Because whenever they talked about the mom, I was like, she's going to see Vanessa Williams. Oh, because when the dinner first started, I was like, he's about to find out about Candyman. Oh, no, he's not. It's not going to be till the very end of the film. It's just it, it, it works. It works. I think the structure I think the structure of the way in which the 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 sequence of events which the story is told really works. I just wish there was a little bit more breathing room. Breathing room. Yeah. yeah. I've said that a million times. I was trying to come up with a different term. Yeah. But well, that that's my biggest complaint with it. Other than that, I really liked this movie. I really want to see it again. Um and I I mean, it's again, it's one of those movies that's divisive. I say everyone should go see it because I liked it, but also mm-hmm. I've I think everyone should be very aware of how a lot of people are reacting to it because I have seen really positive reactions from people. I've seen very negative reactions from people. I've seen incredibly positive reactions from black critics who really like, Mm -hmm. like the way it's told. I've seen people, black critics who fucking hate the way that the the vulture review is. Was that Angelica Jade? Did she write that one? Cause I read hers and she went, in on this that it movie. might it might have been hers and I robert, can't, da- I can't robert totally. daniels went in on this movie but there's also been a lot of people i've seen that have really loved this movie as well it is truly i mean the 86 percent approval rating and the 72 on metacritic that's great because those are your your mainstream critics who are probably giving it like a six seven out of ten but like definitely read the nine out of ten reviews and read the one out of ten reviews because right like, these those are very i think they speak a lot on the same topics but it really shows that within film criticism one thing that one person likes can be the thing that the other person fucking hates and i think we've seen that a little bit too we're much closer in our opinions on this film than other people but like yeah i think yeah because like i said i i definitely like agree with some of the stuff that you said it was just sort of like a a you know, and the the simple thing of just sort of like you got the kind of like visceral horror reaction that yeah. you would want, but like you know, because I'm it, there's tired, no science I'm tired to it. But typical, like, I'm tired yeah. of typical horror. I don't of want just like typical I horror. didn't get that, and and almost wished of like, no, you yeah. don't need to explain to me for the fourth yeah. time that this is a movie about gentrification. Yeah. Like, I and I, I can get agree it. with that too, even even if you know it didn't bother me quite as much because mm-hmm. I was just entrenched in it, kind of so kind of emotionally and spiritually but i you know it's one of those movies i say see it just because you might hate it but at least you'll have something to say about it and i think i mean certainly encourage a lot of people to read a lot of the criticism the the film criticism about it because there is such a like a a varying array of opinions because when i first saw these really negative reviews come in my first thought was oh come on like it's candy man what are you talking about then i saw it and i was like i really liked that a lot but I'm about to go read these other reviews because I can see maybe what they're saying a little bit, or at least I can see, like, I can see their position on why they're saying something that they dislike. It's been, this has been one of the more interesting movies to read a really wide gamut of reviews on. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's I mean, and I mean, at the same time, that's kind of what you want to do. You want a movie that people, A, can talk about, and B, people can analyze, and they might not analyze it. I mean, I'm not, might not analyze it in a favorable way, but right. you're doing that. And I mean, Nia Costa has started a conversation about. I would rather of, talk with people about this movie than talk about um, 
a movie we were going to talk about on this show, but since you didn't see it, there's no point in me saying anything. Re- Reminiscence, which was just like, oh, one of the I more didn't want to like, see that shit. One of the more like sluggish, boring, just dull movies I've seen all year. Oh, um, I could have told, I literally could have told you that movie was going to be boring from the second I saw that trailer. I was like, that movie looks boring and ugly. I'm good. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm at least glad that this is a movie that is, even if it doesn't fully work for me and I'm very, very mixed on it, it is at least like a good movie to talk about with people other than so Reminiscence, fitting, which was just and like. It's so fitting oh. because that the whole movie is about the power of like word of mouth in a sinister way, but mm-hmm. now it's being used in a, in a positive way because even if you're talking bad about the movie, I think discourse on something, as long as it's not toxic or anything like that, which I have not come across that. I've, I've only read very legitimate claims about the film. Uh, I think is, is healthy and should be very much so encouraged on films like this. And, um, and because of all of that word of mouth, Nia Costa is now the first black woman ever to have a movie at number one at the box office. Yeah. It which seems is like fucking the movie's a hit. crazy. Yeah. Can you believe that? Like, I mean, I just think of like, like Gina, like Gina Perth-Bythe, what I think of Ava DuVernay. I think of like, um, like, Stella Meggie, I think of so many talented black female critics out, or not critics, filmmakers out there, and it's like, she's the first to get a number one movie. I mean, Daughters of the Dust, like, was the first black woman movie, or like, black woman directed movie to ever get, like, a studio behind it. That was 1991. So, like, there's just this, like, it's just crazy to me. It's just absolutely fucking insane to me when I read that. It's like, I'm so proud of her for that, but also I'm so disappointed in all of us for having it be this movie to well, be the one to break that mold. But go break it even further. Go see it. It's fun. Also, it's universal. So it'll be on, it'll be on VOD in probably like two weeks from today. Yeah. Well, Hunter, thank you for stopping by again this thank week. You, for you will me. you will definitely be back as we enter what I hope is going to be a very fun fall at the movies. I was about to say Fingers good award, a good award season, but also good uh good horror movies coming up too. So yeah. I'm uh, I'm excited for that. I saw the they showed the malignant trailer and uh I'm excited. Yeah, they showed the malignant trailer before Candyman and seeing it with like the actual sound system and everything it really got me excited for that in a way that i did not think i was excited before yeah so yeah very uh very happy